Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Forum. Nature Biotechnologies podcast, where we talk to leading researchers in the life sciences about the latest advances in their areas of interest. I'm Michael Francisco, a senior editor at The Journal. Today, on episode 19, the topic is single-cell metabolomics, which gives us a snapshot of the small molecules, intermediates, and products of cellular metabolism within a biological system. Our host is Barbara Shafay, chief editor of Nature Biotechnology. And her guests are Theodore Alexandrov of the European Molecular Biology Laboratory and Anne Lay of Gigantest, a metabolic analysis company based in Baltimore, Maryland. Barbara, this topic is really interesting. Nature picks single-cell metabolomics as one of seven technologies to watch in 2023, in all of science, not just the life sciences. Why are people talking about it? Yeah, great question, Michael. So previously, a cell's metabolome could only be looked at in a whole population of cells or tissues. But the metabolome of a single cell is highly dynamic and changing constantly, as my guest today will tell you. And these lipids, carbohydrates, and small molecules are involved in nearly every cellular process, and they are different in every cell. So recently, there have been some technological advances in imaging and mass spectrometry that have enabled scientists to look at the single cell level to begin to understand the extent of this heterogeneity. Can you tell us a little bit about your guests, Theo and Anne? Theo is a researcher at EMBL and one of the pioneers who brought this technology to the single cell level. In 2021, his lab developed SpaceM, which is this open source software tool that uses light microscopy imaging data to enable spatial metabolic profiling of cultured cells using just a standard commercial mass spectrometer. And Anne Lay is the founder and CEO of Gigantist, which is a company that she started during the pandemic after several years working on cancer metabolism at Johns Hopkins. And Gigantis is one emerging company that is looking to use full metabolic profiles to understand disease and human health. Great. This should be interesting. Let's get into it. Here's episode 19 of Nature Biotechnology Forum. Hi, and welcome back to the Forum podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about single-cell metabolomics, and I have with me Drs. Theo Alexandrov from EMBL and Anne Lay, who came from John Hopkins School of Medicine and is the founder and CEO of Gigantest. We're going to be talking today about metabolites, which are small molecule products that are produced by cells during metabolic reactions, and our metabolomes, which are the collection of all metabolites found in our bodies. Even further, we're going to be discussing the single cell metabolome, or the metabolites produced by a single cell. 
So this is a really interesting topic because the cell's metabolome is dynamic and shifts rapidly upon cellular activity and environmental alterations, and it can tell us a lot about the cell's phenotype. So to start off, could you both tell me a little bit about how you got into studying the metabolome? It happens naturally, actually. A decade ago, when I had many projects that required me to have metabolome data to understand cancer metabolism, I had no choice but have to possess this technology, and I found this very powerful and thought that I could take advantage of it to answer so many biological questions, not only in cancer metabolism, but the metabolic aspects of many, many other diseases. And Thea, what about you? Um, I got here by a combination of luck and, uh, and fortune and everything, because uh, my, I did my PhD uh, 15 years ago in statistics. So something completely unrelated to biology, but I was interested in biology. And then someone uh, approached me to, invited me to work in this field of mass spectrometry. And back then I've heard something about metabolites, that they are very challenging. <laughs> the most challenging, you know, what you can get in mass spec. And then I, I first started working in mass spec, then I was interested, why all this stuff? And then I got, this is how I got into metabolomics. And I realized that I actually was attracted by a combination of challenge and also promise of this field. And I think this is what we are witnessing right now, that this field really attracts very adventurous people and also ambitious in some way, because there are so many challenges compared to other fields. But on the other hand, in particular lately, I think there is also a lot of interest and promise in this field, in particular in biology, but also in biomedicine and pharmacology. And I think it's super, super interesting moment right now to talk about this. So thank you very much, Barbara, for having me. I'm uh, looking forward to, uh, uh, very much to uh, this conversation. Yeah, and I definitely want to touch on some of those challenges as well as the promises of this field. But to start off, why, why do we want to look at this in single cells? Single cell metabolomic uh, April Austin did the to do the measurements and analysis of the metabolite within each cell for many reasons. The heterogeneity cell within a given tissue or biological system, one cell metabolism is very different with even with its neighbor, immediate neighbor cell within that same tissue or biological system. So study single cell metabolomic allow us to have that specific metabolism of that given cell. Because when you study tissue as a whole, it, it masks the unique aspect of that cell of interest. Yeah, and, and maybe from my perspective, I completely agree with what Anne said. And let's also think about two examples. One example is fertilization, and another example is immune system. So this is where we can see that one cell can really make it or break it. So, and, uh, and digging a bit deeper into immune system, which is like, very, I, I believe is one of these promises. If we start thinking about, you know, like uh, cells there, which are in the organism or maybe introduced in cell therapies. And we can start imagining how one cell can proliferate and give uh, actually rise 
to clone a population of a lot of functioning or maybe dysfunctioning cell, right? So this is where it all started. It starts to really matter on a very practical terms. But another very, very interesting aspect with single cell analysis that we have learned from single cell biology and single cell RNA-seq over the past five years, not only that every cell is unique, but also if we start considering analysis on the single cell level and not just bulk, we can actually uncover a lot of systematic relationships and almost like new mechanisms besides just new cell types, of course. So those mechanisms that we cannot really see behind this you know, world of averages. And this is the same expectation and the same promise we currently have in single cell metabolomics. So you've both touched on this idea that, you know, single cells are so heterogeneous. And when you're looking at full tissues, these results are, are masked. So yes, the single cell is going to tell us so much more uh, detail. And the metabolome is really dynamic, right? It's far more dynamic than the genome or the transcriptome. So this has to have some challenges for how you're, you go about studying these, these communications, these, these processes. What are the main challenges here in looking at the metabolome, especially when we're looking at single cells? But if you allow me, before we go to the challenges, sure. I want to ask a very important aspect of why we study single cell metabolomic. The disease diagnostic and treatment, especially in drug discovery field, that you can tailor the specific target. You, you don't want, of course, the cancer metabolism, the disease metabolism, uh, the good news is are very, very different with the normal cell metabolism. So if you can understand the two uh, metabolism of disease and metabolism of normal cell, you can have very specific target for therapy that, that helps tremendously. You want a concept of the smart bomb. You don't want to bombard the whole tissue with the innocent normal cell or the cell that, that not in the disease state. And I think Anne is making here an excellent point that it's not only about heterogeneity, but we know that some phenomena in disease in particular they actually can be manifested or detected only through a rare population of cells. And one example here would be a, a circulating cancer cells. And we know that from the amount of blood that can be actually taken from a patient. So sometimes it's possible to detect or isolate, or even have the presence of only a few, a handful, maybe a few tens of circulating cancer cells. And in order to actually to detect them, but then also understand their metabolism or metabolome, of course, we need here single cell metabolomics, right? So I think we should not forget that already proven presence of this rare events that sometimes in particular in disease or maybe early diagnostics of the disease can be extremely important and can be also make it or break it for predicting the health and maybe a therapy or therapy selection of a patient. Mm. Yes, absolutely. I, I absolutely agree. And finding these rare cells, obviously, is, is a challenge in itself. So yeah, let's get back to those challenges. Uh, and so what challenges do you see are, I guess, the most significant for, for looking at this at the moment? So 
the good stuff about single cell metabolomic we already mentioned name a few but that create a lot of problem as well you know in order to have as you, it, the term says the cell single cell you have to go through a process of have a isolate short thing to have one single cell either you study lightly stick into the directly to the mass back that process itself give a bad effect that you change the environment the, the the tissue environment the biological system environment that single cell may be, behave very different when it isolate stage versus when it have its neighbor cell because cell cell communication so the data come from the single cell metabolomic may not be the actual metabolism that works in, in that cell when it's have in the setting of have neighbor cell with, with in the biological system before mm -hmm. isolate because you know this morning your metabolism and now we talk before breakfast after breakfast that very dynamic leave a lot that when cell with thousand and million of other cells around with true phenomenon of cell cell communication and the, the metabolism after a artificial process of isolation and then we study that 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 the uh, human limitation because nobody can be instantly have form tissue to one cell in an instant manner uh, no matter what what you do it takes time and create artificial environment because that in biological system name serum plasma urine csf organ disease tissue and no such a thing single cell per se they all live together that that's the challenges biggest challenges to me yeah yeah, but and I completely agree with you. So I think this dynamic nature of metabolism and also us wanting to avoid uh, unwanted perturbations, of course, that's one of the key challenges. But also to put it in a bit of a high perspective, I think first and foremost, this is actually amount of material. Because just to put it in perspective, we also run in so-called bulk metabolomics services here. And for bulk metabolomic services, if I go to our scientific officer, they ask us one million cells, right? So, and this is what the field was about, right? To do experiments, you need one million cells. And what we're trying to do right now, and what we actually have succeeded as the field, to get reasonable, informative readouts from one millionth of this amount, right? So this is, of course, of course, this is challenging. It requires pretty much change and build up from scratch everything another challenge which might be not that obvious to some uh, um, biologists is the lack of amplification in sequencing we we have learned to rely on the possibility of amplification of major molecules like dna and rna right so in order to increase the detection this is why pcr works this is why we can do sars-cov2 detection and just like with a simple like PCR test, right? Very sensitively. So here we actually unfortunately lack this capacity to amplify the metabolites before we detect them. 
And then we also should actually start thinking about what is this metabolome? It is in this cell, but start thinking about this, a lot of small molecules, they freely diffuse through the cell membrane. That means we want all of them to be there because we lose part of them, we actually lose the detection. But at the same time, I mean, if they start like really diffusing out, we need to be with ourselves as gently as possible. We don't want to stress them, but we don't want to metabolize to leak. So, and this all aspects which make it also that in single cell metabolomics, we need to rethink completely how, metabolize, how cell prep is done and start from ground zero. And the last thing is also, it comes from the, the key phenomenon of metabolism that it actually captures non-genetic factors. And I think Anne has alluded into this. Diet is a huge portion, but it's not only diet, right? It's our exercise. It's actually like, do I have now sunlight or not, right? This all affects. And, uh, and here we, at some point, we can detect a lot of molecules, non-genetic factors, diet and everything. But we actually do not know how they're produced, how they're interconnected, and how they're also metabolized by ourselves. So accounting for all these non-genetic factors brings us to one of the problems and new challenges, which is called metabolic dark matter, where there is like the metabolomics produces so much data, but it's so hard to actually annotate them, pinpoint them to individual molecules and make sense out of these molecules. So all this creates like this fascinating, but also challenging field and the challenges that we're actually facing in the single cell metabolomics field. I, I want to wrap up so that the audience can, can, can understand the challenges. Theo and I, funny enough that he mentioned about the challenges of get into the, the data of single cell metabolomics is very challenging because, you know, usually people get from much much as he mentioned million times more number of cells and now it's down to once to get the data is a challenge techni technically i'm talking about another aspect that even if you get in the ideal technology that you get that metabolome of that given single cell Keep in mind that that metabolome data of that single cell are not actual metabolism of that cell in, but as it was in biological system because of the artificial process that you, as I mentioned earlier, isolate them to have single cell to begin the assessment of metabolome of that cell. Make sense? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you, you have the issue of scaling to just one single cell, but also you're taking that cell out of its native environment. So, you know, and Theo, you, you, you talked a bit about this dark metabolome. Um, so these are the fraction of, of peaks you get from these experiments that can't be assigned to any certain metabolite, right? So what is needed there to shed some light on, on what these dark, these peaks are? Yeah. And just to put it in perspective so that people will understand the gravity of this problem, we are using technology called imaging mass spectrometry. So we put cells or tissue section into uh, this instrument and it generates 100 gigabytes data. Out of this 100 gigabytes data, right now, we can find information and localization 
of, let's say, between 100 to 500 molecules. 100 molecules, images for them, definitely, do, we do not, I mean, need this 100 gigabytes. It can be easily packed in probably one megabyte, maybe like 10 megabytes. So we're just scratching the surface of this wealth of data which we're generating. So this is what normally people refer to dark matter problem in metabolomics. So what's needed? <laughs> if I knew, we would probably be solving it already. We actually do, we're solving. But um, I think we need to have, first of all, we need to better understand the fundamentals of molecular ionization or how the, the signals in MOSPAC come from like material from the tissue. Absolutely fundamentals of analytical chemistry. This is one. The second, what we need is to have better computational methods that would be modeling how this process is actually is going and what is, how is it affected. And also what we see is that we need completely fundamentally new computational approaches because the approaches which exist right now, they pretty much give only incremental improvements. So that's why there is a huge hope for machine learning. And what is now in particular in the, in the era of ChatGPT, everyone is talking about generative models, right? The models that will be generating words. Can we now create models that will be generating how the signals, how they come from molecules or from cells? I mean, at some point, if we get to this point, then this will help us also understand which molecules were in the first place over there. So there is a huge promise and hope for machine learning to help us to chip off more of this dark matter and get more inf information about more molecules which are actually represented there. Yeah, that's a great point. A lot of what you're saying here kind of reminds me of challenges in the single-cell proteomics field as well, you know, with, with the scaling up and with the amplification and, you know, the, the potential use of these machine learning models. So do you see any specific differences to, that could be noted about when you're looking at metabolomics versus proteomics, whether in the methods or the challenges? Before we go into comparison between metabolomic and proteomic, I want to ask some more aspect of the metabolomic that you see at edge of today, high, low comparison, and given metabolite, even one metabolite or thousand of metabolite you see, but that that's what the 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 reason Gigantes were born uh, last last year two thousand. 22 because we want to bring metabolomic to the next level i i i congratulate you for the your skill of compute computerized the 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 high throughput data but in our angle we want to chip in in a true biochemistry aspect not modeling or computerized but understand the next level metabolomic is understand here wet glucose, cholesterol, why we have this level. This cholesterol comes from cough because, you know, human metabolism is extremely complex, but it's very simple, actually. Any biological system, animal or human uh, plant, 
inside vitamin, mineral, core, meat, and fat. So if that so treatment thing, core, meat, and fat. Why this person have high cholesterol? It come from cock that he or she ate, or it come from fat. So we we give the where the metabolic metabolite come from, how it make to have an actionable plan. Not just here, your sorry you have high level of glucose, sorry you have high level of cholesterol, but we can answer the next question. Where the glucose come from, come from fat, come from cork, or come from meat. How it make, where it from, so to have plan, to have actionable therapy and target. Mm-hmm. That's the next level uh, that I, that again, that try to bring the field to, to the actionable plan one we have the data by our proprietary technology. That's a great point. I mean, and I definitely, we're going to shift shortly into the applications here um, for this this tech. I I, uh, I know there's a lot to say there to just, I guess, get back to the question about comparisons to proteomics. Do, do you have anything, uh, or, or is it the same? Or are a lot of the challenges just that? Are they the same? The, the uh, About proteomic and metabolomic, I want to amplify, uh, amplify one thing that, you know, you have high expression of a given enzyme protein or gene upper level gene make protein protein in the category of enzyme enzymatic protein catalyze the metabolic reactions dictate a metabolic reaction happen or not but often we observe that even if you have high expression of a given enzyme protein the metabolic reaction not necessarily happen so when you see for example high level of lactate dehydrogenase a or b it's not necessary that you have high level of pyruvate compared to lactate when you see high level of lactate you know with certainty that fermentation did happen. When you see high level LDSA, the protein, you're not sure. It, who guarantees that when you have high protein expression that the reaction did happen or not? So it's not because I'm in the field of metabolism, I, I, I say one field more important than the other, that's not my message, but I want to say that study metabolism rely heavily on the actual metabolite versus the protein that catalyzes the metabolic reaction because sometimes it's not 100% guaranteed that even if you have high react, high expression, the metabolic reaction would, would happen. Yeah, the questions being answered are different, right, when you're looking at proteins versus metabolites. Um, yeah. Yes, and uh, and I think Anne alluded very, very well into the problem of metabolic plasticity, which makes so hard to interpret the data. But I think we also have uh, comparing to proteomics on technological level, right? Even before we get to the point when we actually have the data to interpret. So there there are several interesting aspects which distinguish metabolomics from proteomics. 
and one is the structural diversity of metabolites. And here you might, you might say, oh yeah, there is huge structural diversity of proteins. Let's look at AlphaFold and all the potential structures which are currently being generated somewhere on Google servers, right? So, but the thing is that, of course, huge diversity of proteins as well. But for metabolites, it's not only structural diversity per se, but how structural diversity will be changing the ways how they can be detected. And then this actually gave rise to a situation where in metabolomics and single cell metabolomics as well, there are multitudes of protocols and methods for detecting this group of metabolites, that class, this pathway, and you can never get all metabolites in one go with just one protocol. The situation that we are now currently have in proteomics, where it's pretty much the same protocol. And uh, again, there is incremental development uh, improvements, but mainly actually on computational data analysis right nowadays. So in metabolomics, it's almost like wild west. You go there and almost every day or every week, there will be a new protocol developed because everyone tries to improve this detection. And this also, I think that there are multiple challenges there as well, because uh, the structural diversity is almost unlimited. And I think Anne alluded into this nicely by saying that metabolites, they get modified, not only through the enzymatic re uh, reactions. Of course, this is a major part of metabolism, but we know that these reactions can be sp spontaneously happening. We also need to account for those non-genetic factors and think about vitamins right in our body. So how they get in or how they don't get in and then how it all propagates. And uh, it also actually creates sometimes even computational challenges that I know well because I work in this field. Uh, when you want to annotate or do, uh, to do metabolite identification or protein identification, there is this approach where you need to give into this approach so-called unfeasible or impossible entities or proteins, for example. You do it by shuffling the sequence. In metabolomics, almost any structure is possible. <laughs> so even how to think of impossible metabolites might sound like, you know, a very abstract problem, but for computational developments, it's not. So uh, long story short, this almost infinite structure diversity is a challenge. And once I've heard the saying that if you take a drop of seawater, you will find almost any structure there, structure of small molecule. Because think about this UV radiation, which breaks also the molecular chemical bonds, creating new structures. So this is the problem that we are facing. It's absolutely not abstract. And, uh, and this is what makes metabolomics so challenging. That, those are great points. And what's amazing to me is that there are all of these challenges, and this is such an emerging field, but we still have companies that are being formed to, to use metabolomics to treat diseases, to look at cancer, for, you know, to look at just general human health. And to me, one of the first applications here that comes to mind is, you know, looking at cancer and looking at tumor microenvironments and immune cell metabolites. We know cancer cell metabolisms change and you know, this could influence immune cells. It, we can potentially influence immune cells, right, to have more kind of functional metabolisms. Or So could you guys maybe touch on, you know, what's happening in the, in the cancer space currently using metabolomics, single-cell metabolomics, uh, and, and what do you find exciting there? If you talk about specific 
gets like the disease, the gene that the person, the mutation that the person unfortunately have, the you know that the famous statement that cancer is the gene disease, but recently we show that cancer also a metabolic disease because it, it proven by a Taiwanese group a very famous paper that they expose pancreatic the innocent pancreatic cell to high glucose environment to mimic diabetic patient and guess what the innocent pancreatic cell create the novel KRAS mutation and become pancreatic cancer cell just because it exposed chronically to high glucose environment like the diabetic people so this is uh, application that we 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 have to see in the in the big picture that not only the mutation lead to the disease not only the dissipation of the well if you talk about parkinson you talk about cryophenic that recently linked heavily to gene but what you had gene the actual outcome you know metabolism is the final how human body react to internal factor in this case gene protein or external factor like the way we eat the diet the lifestyle the environment the pollution the clean air red meat that you heard all the time that will not good but it, it's high probability to get cancer but they're the people who smoke all their life never had cancer they're the people who never smoke a single cigarette in their life and unfortunately had cancer so apparently the smoke just push the probability higher but not the hundred percent guarantee that you will have this disease or that disease COPD metabolism unique of that person will react to that factor of smoke of environment of diet and make the disease happen or not not solely the internal factor the intrinsic factor or the external factor human metabolism is the final determined factor because in order to make gene protein you need atcg right so in order to make protein you need amino acid metabolite are the fundamental element of life maybe the gene people may upset with me because they say gene and the fundamental element of life but how come you have gene without atcg atcg and enosine taunin are metabolite uh to build that mutation to 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 have gene replicate rapidly make new cell in order to make new cell crazily cancer replicate you need lipid how come you had new cell without cell membrane the, the major component of cell membrane are lipid and so on my draft upset them about application that we had to look at the big picture from the external factor intrinsic and extrinsic and they help the 
biological system, in this case we care about human disease, react to this factor and actually develop a given disease or not. Yes, and from my perspective, with respect to cancer metabolism, I mean, first and foremost, I'm, I'm here more of external observer because I'm not really coming from this field, but uh, it is absolutely fascinating for me to see how uh, researchers and scientists in this field, how they get in closer to understand the role and the function of this, what is discussed as hallmark, right? Reprogrammed uh, cancer metabolism, reprogrammed metabolism in cancer cells. So, and, uh, and how also similar reprogramming is now getting revealed in other cell types as well. And now we start thinking that, okay, how, all, how this is really metabolism is intricately related to the disease, but also to the environment. And Barbara, as you said, like tumor microenvironment, when you start thinking about this, it is absolutely innate, uh, it's a foreign environment for the cells, right? It is highly acidic, highly hypoxic. And we can start thinking about Warburg effect where the cells rely on, on glycolysis. So as adaptation to this environment. And, uh, and for me, what's the most interesting direction which is now going on is to really understand the competition between cancer cells and immune cells in this environment. Because I think understanding this will make us one step closer towards creating more effective therapies and particular cell therapies and adoptive cell therapies to really reprogram or support the immune cells, even from our organism, to really uh, fight the cancer where it's happening. And here I just would like to give a huge shout out to uh, such researchers and scientists as Erica Pierce, actually currently John Hopkins as well, uh, who, who pioneered uh, this notion of metabolic competition and also metabolic requirements. Because if we start thinking about the systems, so the cells in this in the tumor microenvironment, they need to have metabolites not only as energy, but they need them also as building blocks for proliferation and so on. But also they, some of them, because metabolites are so ubiquitous, they actually potentially evolved to react to abundance or to absence of metabolites, perceiving them or sensing them as signaling molecules. And this is, it's absolutely fascinating to see what's going on right now in the cancer metabolism field beyond just Warburg effect, you know? Mm -hmm. So glycolysis versus oxidative phosphorylation, right? So I think this is really, really exciting. There is so much more going on. And immunometabolism is definitely this frontier, which will be shifting the needle in our understanding and hopefully also fighting cancer. That circles around really nicely to what Anne just said about how these metabolites are just the basis of how our cells interact and understanding that at that level is really significant if you want to go into any kind of treatment or therapy. What other directions do you see this research going in, whether it's towards human health or towards other diseases or conditions? I want to ask a little bit about the word hallmark uh, that they'll use. The hallmark here it's not only the ABCD metabolite is signature for, for if you see high lactate, warbler effect for cancer, if you see neurotransmitter is 
schizophrenic uh, serotonin thing like that it's not just the name of the metabolite are unique in one disease and not an absent in the normal condition because now we realize i i have an article about the exact play the metabolic signature actually what will affect is not only ha happening in in cancer but all the disease have heavy fragmentation as well so the the way that the disease react and build and happen to the external condition or internal condition and one of my articles we talk about waka molecule you you are you grow up in america you know the game waka molecule so in in disease specifically cancer we call it what what molecule so you stop one you suppress one pathway it have a backup pathway it have a way to escape the therapy to to grow perfectly fine and and relax so the hallmark understanding in the broader term that how that specific disease react to therapy react to the environment and and the unique metabolism of that given patient uh, respond or sensitive to therapy not just a very simple list of hallmarks that because nothing it become uniquely day when we study further and further we say oh oh by the way hallmark a uh, wobble affected not just for cancer we saw that in uh, um felty subject versus young sub subject as well good point and um and from my perspective um in terms of probably the the most promising applications and uh, in particular the focus on human health and disease because of course in biology there will be so much revealed i think now with these technologies available but in focusing on human health and disease so i really hope and to see how single cell metabolomics can help in three areas the first i think will be a drug development and here even just to understand where does a drug go how is it metabolized and actually what, it, what, what does it change in specifically in situ uh, the, with respect to metabolism and also what are, uh, how the adverse metabolic uh, effects are created. So because this is one of the challenge to create like to reduce metabolic toxicity of the drugs and drug candidates. So I think this is what we'll see in, uh, in drug development. I think the next one will be probably therapy selection or therapy monitoring. Because here, metabolic profiles, they are so sensitive so that and they also at the same time, they are preserved. So that means I, I really hope that we'll see new developments in, first of all, probing different therapies. And for example, some work we started already and others I, I know also working on this using organoids, where you can subject organoids to different uh, therapies and then pick that one, which has the best metabolic effect. So and uh, but on top of this, I think in terms of therapy development, probably cell therapies has the biggest promise for single cell metabolomics because there is now already enough evidence to link the immune cell function with metabolic state. So if we can actually optimize the adoptive cells therapies, not only genetically, but also metabolically, and the work already has already started, then we will make them more fit 
to actually uh, fulfill their function in vivo after, after they actually injected. And then, then I think we'll see also diagnostics because metabolic biomarkers, they are real, they are used already. But now the question, can we actually adapt and make diagnostics better using liquid biopsies? I think so. <laughs> because, I mean, cells, they are informative for the state of disease or therapy response. And last one, I think that at some point we'll actually capitalize on undiscussed yet aspect of single cell metabolomics that is the cheapest and the fastest of all single cell omics. So this opens so much possibilities for us to generate a lot of metabolic atlases and feed them to some AI that will be actually generating structures which have minimal metabolic effects, or minimal metabolic adverse effects. And this will be very, very exciting because this will make overall drug and therapy development faster, cheaper, and actually less toxic or causing less adverse effects that we are having right now. Bob, you mentioned about immunometabolism. So the, the, I wouldn't say the, the mission, but the most, eh? we try to understand the immune cell metabolism as much as we try to understand cancer cell metabolism. So we do, we have two very opposite directions. We want to compromise the cancer cell metabolism, but promote and help and nourish the immune cell at our soldier to fight cancer cell. Uh, the old fashion that you just give cisplatin and it kill everybody and the person lost all their hair and lose weight and you know the typical image of the cancer patient unfortunately with the side effect of everything every cell normal cell so that that our as a scientist we impose ourselves this requirement that we have to understand single cell metabolism to have to, to hit the right enemy and protect the our allies, right? From the, the enemy, the, the cancer cell, but, but nourish the, the good stuff so that the patient have a good quality of life and, and yield their own armor to fight their cancer cell. It's it doable. It's doable with single cell metabolomics. We, we're getting there. We make a great progress and we, we're getting there we, with, with technology and awareness and willingness of scientists. Very helpful feel. I, I think that's a really great note to close on. So th thank you, Theo and Anne, for, for sharing your perspectives on this topic and, and also for your research and, and work in this space. Um, I think it has so much promise and I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens in the future. Um, it's been a really interesting conversation. So thank you both. Yeah, thank you, Barbara, for, for inviting uh, us and me. And uh, it has been a pleasure. And thank you also for picking this topic. And I hope that the word will spread further, that this technology and this field is emerging. And we are very much looking forward to it. Wonderful. Thank you, Theo. Thank you, Bob. That was episode 19 of Nature Biotechnology Forum. Thanks to our guests, Theo Alexandrov and Anne Lee. You can listen to all episodes of this and our other podcasts by searching Nature Biotechnology, 
wherever you find and listen to podcasts. If you have any thoughts or comments on our podcast, please tweet us at Nature Biotech. That's all for now. Until next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.